You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about Albert Kahn, who was called by many the architect of Detroit. I'm Linda Shepard, and with me today is my co-host, Ed Brohard. Hi, Ed. Hello, Linda. Good to be with you. You know, while exploring Detroit's past, present, and future, I am struck by two concepts fairly unique to the city. First of all, Detroit is about cars. It, it is. It's not the Motor City for nothing. I mean, you know, when you hear somebody say, well, Detroit says, or Detroit, or, I mean, they're talking about cars. That's right. I mean, is there another city in the world where they... I don't think there's anything that is that associated with a certain product and a certain concept. You're right. You just say Detroit... In place of the auto, yeah, uh, the automotive basically, industry. That's it. That's totally it. And the other thing that's really amazing about Detroit is the architecture. And I cannot emphasize this enough. I mean, you and I have done extensive traveling. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of beautiful architecture. Of course, we've been to Europe, and that is fabulous. But as far as the United States, I mean, Detroit has world-class architecture. It does. And, you know, for a lot of people, that flies in under the radar because um, people... People don't realize that. No. And because of the kind of press that Detroit has had in recent years, um, people think of it as sort of a decrepit... uh, Ruin porn. Ruin porn, uh, a city that whose day is gone and there's nothing left to it. But that you and I both know that isn't true. That is totally not true. So we've got these two concepts going. Cars, cars, Mm -hmm. totally cars, and gorgeous architecture. And who bridges the two but our subject today? Albert Kahn. Absolutely. I mean, because the list of his buildings and automobile plants and just structures. I mean, name the type of building. He designed it. It just goes on and on and on in Detroit. That's right. I mean, it's it's almost He's everywhere. Um, it's absolutely true that probably uh, at least 25% of the major buildings in Detroit that have some sort of ra- uh, name recognition were designed by or closely affiliated with Albert Kahn and his associates. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about some of our favorite Albert Kahn buildings. Okay. Do you want to go first or would you like me to? Well, I mean, so <laughs> there's they are so iconic and um, you can kind of divide his stuff into his industrial work. Yes. Uh, which was groundbreaking. and Like ab- the automobile plants the themselves. Automobi- the automobile plants. And to think that a world-class architect designed an automobile plant is right. kind of amazing. Right. 
Um, he really kind of set the standard for uh, industrial design Absolutely. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century. Um, without him and without or without somebody with his kind of vision, working closely in a collaborative way with the great automobile designers and magnates. Henry Ford. Yeah, Henry Ford, uh, Walter Fisher P. Chrysler, Brothers. the Fisher Brothers, um, the, the the people who founded uh, GM, uh, Will Durant and uh, Sloan. Without someone like uh, Albert Kahn to bring those ideas to fruition so that they could actually be put into practice, um, it might have eventually happened, but it wouldn't have happened in the same way. And it wouldn't have happened probably all in Detroit because he was a Detroit person. He was a Detroit person. Yeah. You know, he must have been quite a personality because, I mean, he was dealing with some very high powered people here who I'm sure had very clear ideas of their own. But he was. And yet when you, when you really uh, read about him and his upbringing, he seemed fairly low key. Um, maybe the perfect person to um, take ideas from big personalities and translate that into action, make and it actually with, happen. By still keeping his own vision. Actually, yeah, you know, right. I mean, I don't think his work probably was particularly compromised by you have to do this, you have to do that. I mean, maybe to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but he must have had the right personality That's right. to know how to deal with, well, you know, I think you, Henry. I think, yeah, well, yes, <laughs> especially dealing with Henry. Um, I think that you can kind of divide from, from what I can glean, you can kind of divide uh, Albert Kahn's work between his personal aesthetic, which was really very different than his industrial design aesthetic, where he was really working for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, he would have the specifications of what this person needed. Right. What, uh, what they needed to produce. And a lot of this was brand new stuff because it had never been there before. No. Things on this scope and no. scale, things like the uh, production Everything line, was new. You know? Right. So it was all new. And so there was that. Uh, the utilitarian part of, um, of Albert Kahn. Then there was his own personal aesthetic, which really was, um, Kind of different. I mean, he loved the European masters. He he loved replicating certain styles from antiquity, uh, particularly from the Renaissance. Um, he loved some of the 19th century architecture, and he put a new spin on it. But he liked to bring back uh, revivalist uh, styles too. Absolutely. Uh, so, so the two were very different, and sometimes it almost seems like it would be impossible for them to coexist. It and yet really they did. does. It is amazing. So, um, over the weekend, I visited two Albert Kahn buildings. Myself, my husband, and I both went to visit these buildings, and I have to say, both were spectacular, and both I would recommend everyone to go see. We saw, we went through the Belle Isle Aquarium and the Anna Scripps Whitcomb Conservancy. Both are on Belle Isle, which is an amazing place. I mean, we were blown away by how nice the island looks in the summertime. The people that were there, how clean it was, how nice it was. 
I highly recommend everyone to go visit Belle Isle this summer. It is, it is such a beautiful place and better than ever. And lots of people there, which was wonderful to see. And, um, it was great. Um, the, and we should probably mention that for the last, what, four years, it has been under the auspices of or a part of the Michigan State Park System. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, Belle Isle has always been a jewel. I mean, it's kind of a one in the uh, – It is a one big, of a kind fat thing. secret. No, I don't think any – any major city in the United States has something comparable An to island Bella, park like a this. huge island in the middle of their beautiful river that is, you know, pristine and uh, available for recreation, but also for contemplation with gorgeous city views and yet almost a country feel. Uh, and of course, as we know, this goes back to the 19th century. Right. Um, you know, designed uh, uh, initially by Frederick Law Olmsted, who did Central Park and other Absolutely. major uh, venues. So it really is truly unique. And yet, because of some of Detroit's financial difficulties over the years, it had fallen into disrepair, and its future was not at all certain. So um, a wonderful thing, I think, personally, a wonderful thing happened, and that was that the state of Michigan uh, came in and, in collaboration with the city of Detroit, took it over as a state park so that they could give the kind of resources that were needed. And yet, it's still owned by... Detroit. It's on a 99-year lease and it will eventually revert to the city of Detroit. So it's a way of maintaining it and making it available to all. It's wonderful. So um, both the aquarium and the conservatory opened in 1904. Mm -hmm. And when you enter the aquarium, you see a sign that says it is the country's oldest aquarium. That's right. So it has this gorgeous bow art style entrance. Decorated with an ornate arch incorporating two spitting dolphins and the emblem of Detroit. And inside, this is what I love, this beautiful green opalite glass tiles lining vaulted ceiling. It's a barrel vault ceiling. Oh, it's so pretty. It, it just shimmers in this blue-green light. And uh, the water in the tanks, if I I haven't been for a couple of years, so I'm but it, but it had such an impression on me. It it almost seems to like reflect on the, the that, walls and the ceiling. Right? It really does. And that green of the tiles is just perfect to put you in kind of an aquatic mm-hmm. mood. And it's it's really very lovely, very pretty. And the thing that's different than a lot is that this is not SeaWorld, okay? It is totally it's, not it's SeaWorld. Not, it's not huge. It's no. um, it's, it's hu- small. It's small. It's human scale. Um, it's like a long, sort of narrow uh, room with the uh, the the glass walls, the tanks on the side, this beautiful ceiling, the beautiful ornamentation. But it's a place where you can actually kind of relax and you know contemplate uh, these creatures, um, and it's very serene. Instead of going to some giant complex where there's multi-levels and crushes of people. And uh, it's not like that at all. No, not at all. It's small. It's also free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have the advantage of being in a beautiful, magnificent 
piece of architecture right. by our man, Albert Kahn. That's right. That's it's right. very nice. So um, when he originally built it, he had a connection between the conservatory and the aquarium. Um, they were joined and you could walk between the two structures, which would actually be great now, but you kind of have to go outside. But that's okay because mm -hmm. when you go outside, when you walk over to the conservancy conservatory, and I have to mention both these venues are free to mm -hmm. the public. That's right. One of the benefits from having the Grand Prix on Belle Isle in the summer, it does kind of take up a month in the spring, but it allows for the aquarium, the conservatory, and the Dawson Museum free admission, which is really nice. That's right. It's now, really nice. Now, you do, you do have to um, pay to drive onto the island because it Actually, is— Actually, there was nobody in the booth okay. on Sunday. Right. right. So, so theoretically, you yes. You snuck in, but— but, but and the, you know, I've been there a couple times. We were there to see the Maritime Museum a yeah. few months ago, and there was nobody in the booth then either. No, I I think that happens more at at kind of peak times. Although you were there on it the weekend, it was mobbed. Right? Oh, okay. On Sunday, it was absolutely mobbed. So I'm so not they, sure, but I didn't complain to anyone. Giving, they were giving. There was nobody a in the booth. Yeah. So what I do is, um, I when I renew my license, I just pay the extra. I think eleven dollars or so. I did too. To actually have that on my uh, license pass. plate, so it's right. the, and then it allows you to any state park or, uh, you know, state forest, any any. Um, thing that's owned by the state in, the, in Michigan. And um, I figure, you know, whether I went or not, and of course I always would go, but whether I went or not, it's good to support that. It absolutely financially. is. So, yeah. You're right. And of course, if you wanted to walk in, you could walk in for free. If you, uh, you know, took a bus down Jefferson, you right. could just walk across the beautiful MacArthur Bridge. And I and did see a lot right of bikers. There. A lot of bikers, yes. Uh, coming across the bridge. And it was a hot day on Sunday. Right. Um, it was great. And I have to say, this is a little bit off the topic, but what I found really nice, too, was after we went through the aquarium and the conservatory, they had food trucks. That's out great. there. That was fabulous because yeah. they had lots of tables and chairs set up under the trees and it was really hot, but there was a nice breeze and we had some fabulous chicken and waffles <laughs> from a food truck uh -huh. uh, after our little tours of the building. That's nice. It was, you know, yeah. because you kind of want something to eat and these food trucks, I think they also had a taco truck and an ice cream truck. Right. What a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, there's iconic buildings. Those are, of course, the the two most beautiful. And it was all part of the, the City Beautiful movement that became uh, very popular in urban centers, in uh, in progressive cities in the uh, early— 1904. That's right. Yeah, the early 20th century. And, um, you know, to, to have these kind of bastions uh, of tranquility or, or places for recreation. I would say they to are. To make city life because, you know, city. Very tranquil. Yeah. In a big industrial city, you need that. You, oh. you need that to be able to escape to. And, and people did. Right. And the conservatory. It's so pretty. Yes, it really is. You go is. inside and you just look up at the ceiling. It just goes on and on forever. And you can walk into the different rooms. And, and the volunteers ballroom. maintain and those uh, beautiful so plants. It's so lovely. Yeah, and the, uh, the outside garden 
is beautiful right. too. It was kind of too hot to walk around it, but oh my gosh, it was so pretty. Kind of, Randy said, this kind of reminds me of that place we went to in Paris. I said, what, you mean Versailles? <laughs> yeah. That place. <laughs> <laughs> that place. But the same kind of, you know, on a much smaller scale, formal mm-hmm. plantings and hedges and very, very pretty. Right. Um, Khan also did the casino. Which right. It's not a gambling casino, no. but it's, it's got the, the term and it's sort of done in a, he was very fond of that, uh, sort of, um, Italianate kind of design. I love that building. Yeah. And it's really pretty. And I it, love those porches. Yeah. They're so pretty. Yes. Huge like veranda around it. Oh, it's lovely. And, um, there's been a whole lot of, um, uh, renovation on that too and restoration. Well, I was inside it, uh, during the winter. Um, and I had never been inside before because I think it's kind of a venue for weddings and parties mm-hmm. and things right. like that. And it's not normally open to the public, but they were having shiver on the river during the winter and Matt and I went down. Right. And, um, I was struck by how pretty it is inside and how beautifully maintained it's been. Yeah. It's very nice. It inside. always it, it wasn't always so, but uh, It looks it, great now. You know, but in the last few years it has made a major comeback. And then of course, you know, at the uh at the um Western Edge, you have um the Scott Fountain, which is fabulous. Oh, I love uh, that. That that's so beautiful. Um I think that's got to be one of the the favorite um, spots for wedding photos. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you always see, uh, uh, you know, a crowd of, of people, um, to have their picture taken, you know, with a wedding party. I can't tell you how much I love Belle Isle. I really, it mm-hmm. is such a beautiful place. Yeah. But let's go back to our man. Our man, Albert. Albert. So, um, I think the thing that I found most surprising about him was that he was colorblind. Yeah. That was uh, that. That was one reason that he didn't um, become go become an artist per se, right? And went more into architectural design um, because, yeah, he he had a he couldn't a, tell like between a, colors, a blue green color deficit. And I think he was fired from his first job with an architectural firm uh, for. Lack of talent, I guess it was. But yeah, well, there was another interesting story. You know, uh, he did not come from great wealth. His father was a itinerant rabbi, um, and and he was born in um, uh, in Germany and immigrated here in the eighteen eighties. Does that sound right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and um, so he was a young boy, and his, you know. Did not come up from a particularly educated, oldest of children, six children, six children. That's right. He had younger brothers and I think a sister or two. And, um, so he, yeah, he had to go. He didn't have formal education. He had to go to work right away. Uh, fortunately, he did encounter some people that took them, him under his wing. Um, and, uh, there was this one artist that that took an interest in him, but he worked for an architectural firm like other uh, architects uh, that we've discovered, like Wirt, uh, that we've talked about, like Wirt Roland, um, famous Detroit architect, didn't have formal education particularly and really learned on the job, which is just amazing. The apprentice route. Yeah, the apprentice route. Um, but – 
I heard that the reason he was fired from the first job was he needed to make more money. And so in the evening, he was working as a, gro- as a uh, groom, grooming horses. Oh. And he was fired because when he'd come in, he smelled like a stable. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't hear that story. Yeah, I read that Oh, someplace. that's too bad. Yeah. Poor Albert. Poor Albert. But, you know, uh, he had a tremendous amount of talent. And so um, uh, people – you know, noticed him. Right. Well, his formal education ended at the age of 12. Yeah, that's right. Unbelievable. That's right. But, you know, he was always driven because I read that when he was really young, he was a piano prodigy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What I did, I didn't know he was very interested in music. Yeah. He was a piano prodigy and thought about going in that direction. But as he grew older, his passion for the piano was transferred to drawing. So that became his new obsession. And this is a guy that got onto a subject and just went with that. That's right. So after he uh, uh, came, uh, was sort of tutored by this artist, Julius Melchers, um, he was able to win a $500 traveling scholarship to Europe. And um, I think actually, he was 21 at that point. Yeah. And actually, uh, for the first time, this opened up a whole – even though he was European by birth, this was a, a wonderful experience because he went to places, in, you know, like Florence and Rome and uh, could could firsthand acquaint himself with all these wonderful um, architectural sites and, and uh, great works of art. Um, and in fact, I think he he met a friend there or met somebody there right. that he formed a, a Henry a close, Bacon. Yes, that he formed a close relationship with. Who designed the Lincoln Memorial? That's right. In Washington D.C. That's right. So these were they, these became heavy hitters, but it was because of the, that early influence um, and experience that he developed this real love for. Um, these kinds of designs and particularly not in his factory designs but particularly when he did work for uh, private commissions for people's homes. Um, he would you know, use a lot of the wonderful things he had seen in Europe. Well, yeah. So then he came home. You know, He spent a year studying abroad and he came home and uh, he got married to Ernestine Krolik. The daughter of Adolf Krolik, who was a successful dry goods merchant. And she, get this, Ed, was from Rochester. I didn't know that. Yeah. Rochester, our yeah. Rochester. Ed and I both live in Rochester, which is a suburb of Detroit. Uh-huh. And she was from Rochester, which was a very different place than it is now, <laughs> I am no sure. Back in 1896, when she married Ernest. But she was um, very smart. She was a graduate of the U of M, and she was a talented gardener and interior decorator who often advised Albert on matters of color, fabric, fabric selection, and she was a big help to him. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. So, um, okay, we're going to talk a lot about his buildings, uh, but first we're going to take a little break, and we're going to talk about... Our new sponsor, Audible. Audible. So Audible is a way to read a book without having 
to look at the book. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you talk about visual learners and auditory learners. We're all auditory learners to a degree. I think so. Yes. And uh, I know I personally, um, I love reading, but I'm a very, I'm the slowest reader on the planet. It was a real problem getting through college and school. Really? I mean, you know, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not one of these people that can just dash things off. Yeah. I think maybe because I say every word to myself in my brain. So oh, it's like okay. I'm reading to myself. So you've got so audible some, going on yeah, in your so head. Sometimes, you know, if that's the pace I'm going to quote unquote read at, maybe it would be nice to hear someone read to me. Yeah, you know, actually hear it, be able to he- actually hear the sounds, and um, so that's why I really enjoy a concept like Audible. And you said you've recently listened to, yeah, kind of a classic on Audible. Yeah, I'm in a a, a book club through Oakland University. It's a book to film club, which is just a great idea. Little plug: if anyone's interested, contact. Uh, uh, me our, or uh, Oakland to find out when they meet. Uh, we meet once a month and we um, choose books that uh, are either classics or more recent that have been made into movies. And we read the book and then we see the movie and then we discuss the differences. It's a wonderful idea. Uh, so one book that I had never read but it seemed like most people had was A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Um, a wonderful book about growing up in the early part of the 20th century in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and Kind of a past of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, it really like is. Like a past of Detroit. Yeah, and uh, that, you know, a life that was but hard but still, um, you know, very rewarding. And so uh, it was written by a woman named Betty Smith based on her own recollections of childhood. And you listened to this on Audible. And I listened to this on Audible. And it was great. Uh, the person who was reading it was a real artist, could speak in all the different voices because there's a lot of dialogue. And some of this was, you know, like um, Irish, New York accents. Um, it was great. And you could uh, really, it really helped to paint the picture of what you were seeing. Thank and, you, Audible. Yeah. Thank you, Audible. So um, I. Now, I, I believe they have thousands and thousands of titles. Absolutely. Um, from all walks of fiction and nonfiction. So. I recently listened to You're Lucky You're Funny, How Life Becomes a Sitcom by Phil Rosenthal. And Phil Rosenthal was the uh, showrunner for Everyone Loves Raymond. And he now has a show on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil, which is a <laughs> hilarious show where he travels around the world eating and talking about it. But I loved – I took a trip to Florida over the winter and listened to Phil all the way down there talk about how he got his start in show business and – the ups and downs and his whole life and the whole everybody loves Raymond business. And it was wonderful. I laughed out loud and it was him telling his story, which was a perfect audible title because he's funny. Yeah. So you're getting him. Well, you're that's getting great. kind of a stand-up comedy. And, yeah. you know, mentioning that this is something that you can do during drive time, that's fabulous, you know, because – 
Um, it's it's a wonderful way to, w- without having to take your eyes off the road or anything, it's a wonderful way to uh, to entertain yourself on long trips or short commutes. So you can sign up as an Audible listener, and that will give you book credits each month for a low monthly fee. Customers download their choices, and they can access these Audible books on their iPhone, Android device, Fire tablet, iPod, or other MP3 player. And you listen to A Tree Grows on Brooklyn on your on your, your uh, Samsung, tablet. Samsung Galaxy 3. Yeah. Yeah. And I listen to Phil Rosenthal on my iPhone, which I hooked into my car and listened to while I was on the on the road. It was great. So Audible is offering a 30-day trial and that gives you your first audiobook for free. And you can go to audible.com slash Detroit or text Detroit to 500 500. Um, I think it sounds like a good deal. It is a good deal. I know my daughter-in-law belongs and she really enjoys she's a busy mom of three and she is a huge big reader for as long as I've known her she's already always read several books a week but she said that 99% of her books come to her via audible why that's terrific it's really amazing it works for her she has found something that really works um so let me repeat, go to audible.com slash Detroit or text Detroit 500-500. You know, uh, choose a book title that not only interests you, but, you know, is something that you may want to listen to with other people. Uh, especially if you're in the car, that's a good idea too. That'll make kind of a family trip. Sounds like a good idea, especially if you had kids with you. You know, it's, it's a great, uh, accompaniment to hiking. Go for a hike, listen to a book, sunbathe, sit on the beach, listen to an audible book, running, Mm -hmm. road tripping, enjoying downtown, downtime outdoors. And more. So start your free 30-day trial and receive a free audiobook. Visit audible.com Detroit or text Detroit to 500-500. Sounds like a great idea. It does. Now, let's go back. To Albert Albert Kahn. Kahn. Let's talk about some more of his buildings. Well, one of the things that – in addition to almost every walk of life here in Detroit, there's another place where that you could almost say he's the architect of this entire city, and that is Ann Arbor. University, University of, of Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, which he had close ties to. And I hadn't realized that his wife was a graduate, but uh, that may help to explain that. Um, if you go to Ann Arbor, most a good portion of the classic buildings, and they're also uh, beautiful, and they are so beautiful, are designed by Albert Kahn. Some of his that's best a nice examples. day trip. It is, 
It is. And, uh, you know, one, one great example um, is the, the amazing auditorium there, Hill Auditorium, and the fact that he was very interested in music and was talented in that way. Um, I, I now realize that that's one reason why acoustically it's so perfect. He said that he wanted to build an auditorium where you could hear a pin drop. And they've actually done tests. And at Hill Auditorium, the acoustics are so wonderful that up in the balcony and in the uh, rows further back, if you drop a pin on stage, you actually can hear it. <laughs> you know, that's got to involve math and science and, you know, a lot of different Things that have got to come together for that kind of experience that's for a right. musician. Yeah. No, that's incredible. So I know that this is a premier place for uh, musicians to play and for audiences to enjoy that. Um, and it's it's a beautiful visual experience, too. So probably I would probably not get an argument from most people if I said – the Fisher Building is probably maybe his finest structure. Yeah, do you think? Do you it, agree, Ed? Um, yeah, it's certainly the most dramatic. It really um, is. It's it's so iconic, and in it, um, it was built in a part of the city along, you know, shortly after his monumental work designing the uh, General Motors building. Right, which Grand is right Boulevard. across the street. Yeah, in an area that at the time, Detroit was expanding out, and so this was really kind of on the edges. It was, for, in some ways, the first edge suburb, which is the yeah. term now. Uh, but, you know, it was because downtown was congested. There was, you know— right. Terrible traffic, and this and is five miles from downtown. And there was, and also there was no, there wasn't a lot of room to build monumental structures there. They were running out of room. Yeah, they were running out of room, and so they pushed out to the uh, north end, the northern edge suburb at that time, and um, you know they constructed these amazing buildings in this area that they that was dubbed the new center, um, the most. You know, striking example is is probably the originally the the huge GM building, but it was followed by his jewel, the Fisher Building. It is such a gorgeous yeah. building, and it's sort of a um, uh, Renaissance meets Art Deco, you know, in a way. Uh, so and it's kind of a city within a building. Yeah, it is because it, and it it really showed uh, for the first time, I think. Um, Albert Kahn's interest in sort of city planning too, because it wasn't just uh, a building. It wasn't just office space, although it had plenty of that. I mean, yeah. half of the doctors in the whole metro you area the big were in tower. there. But it also had, you know, a radio station. Right. It had um, uh, a movie, a, a beautiful movie palace, movie theater, later becoming the Fisher Theater, a stage theater. It had restaurant areas. It had arcades. It had retail. It really had everything. And today it still has all those things. It still has all those things, yes. And, um, of course, it was originally was going to be much larger than it is. It was going to have two towers. It was going to actually have three. Oh, wow. This was going to be one. The existing building was going to be one of two. Identical towers, oh. what, 38 stories or something? Is that how tall it is? And then 
there was one go- going to be double that height that would be between them. Wow. Of course, something major happened that put an end to that. It was called the Depression. The Depression. <laughs> and that the affected 1930s. a lot of things and it affected things in Detroit probably uh, more than anywhere else. So those plans had to be scaled back, but at least they were able to get that uh, that gorgeous building in and it still stands as, as you know, one of the – uh, it, it was it, it was voted the most beautiful building of 1928. I would still put it right up there. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that, you know, when I drive into the city, I see the green roof of the Fisher Bill. I mean, it is mm-hmm. just, it says Detroit to me. Right. It says Albert Kahn. It says cars because it was the Fisher Brothers. That built that building. That's right. As a gift to the city. That's right. And they, of course, were Fisher Body that supplied all the the body for all GM cars. Right. Uh, so this was a tremendous enterprise, and and uh, they told Albert Kahn to spare no expense, which you know a designer has crazy. to love to hear, and he he did. He went he went crazy. How wonderful. Yeah. So the new center has. The Fisher Building, it has the GM Building, and it also has another building called the um, New Center One Building. I think yes. it was called that. It, well, there, there's one that's called the Albert Kahn Building. Is well, they have renamed it. Okay. That New Center, yeah. Center One Building has been renamed the Albert Kahn Building. And what I found out is that, you know, it was another smaller building that's where Saks Fifth Avenue was That's downtown. Right. That's right. It was. Until the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not nearly as grand as the Fisher Building or the GM Building, but it was recently sold. And it is being refurbished as apartments on my ongoing fantasy quest to find <laughs> a fabulous downtown apartment. This has now gone on my list. How wonderful would it be to live right across the street from the Fisher Building? That would be pretty neat. Yeah. And they're going to redo everything because they're going to turn those offices into fancy, nice apartments. It would be nice to see if, you know, uh, uh, of course, I know that brick and mortar retail is somewhat is becoming sort of a thing of the past, but wouldn't it be great to see uh, you know, a, a major retailer like Saks Fifth Avenue actually come back there. You know, I don't know if that's going to that happen. That probably is not going to happen. But uh, yeah, that was that was quite the uh, that was quite the the place. And um, I did come across another apartment building. I mean, I'm sure he's got all kinds of structures everywhere in the city, but this one sounded very appealing. Also, uh, the Palm. Mm-hmm. apartment building, which is on Jefferson, very close to I-75. So it's not exactly downtown, but I would say it's like three, four blocks right. from downtown. And that has been recently rehabbed also. And it is a gorgeous, beautiful building. I have not been inside, but I did read that when you walk inside, the thing that you notice is that this building and these apartments were probably built for wealthy people. Yeah, I think it was one of the first ones, and it's one of the closest in to the city at the time. Um, and it's got these wonderful kind of rounded windows on the oh, corner. Yeah. You know, you can just imagine what the apartments must look like inside, you know, because I'd love to go yeah. see them. Yeah. Another candidate for my fantasy apartment downtown. Right. 
Well, you know that down on um, um, Capitol Park, which is undergoing – just off Woodward by right. a block, is undergoing all kinds of renovations. And um, one of his classic buildings down there um, has been refinished as beautiful um, – apartments and condominiums and has been renamed in his honor the Albert the Albert <laughs> so that would be he that lives. would be great to live in an Albert Kahn building called the Albert you know how you good know is what? that that list of our fantasy apartments yeah. is, goes on and on and on so um and then he designed houses too yeah. So, and I know you recently visited the Edsel Ford House yeah. in Gross Point. It's magnificent. We both agree that it's just a gorgeous spot. And that was also Khan's work. Uh, that's a Cotswold style uh, gallery, stone walls, oak plank flooring, imported antique uh, carved paneling in the Tudor, Georgian style. Um, you know, I also uh, drove past his personal home on uh, Mac, Mac Avenue, Avenue, yeah, which is now the, the Urban uh, Lake, right? The Urban Lake, yes, and that's it, a beautiful house too. It is, it is, um, and it's um, it's right there on the corner. You know, it's and and it's a lovely house, and it has that kind of um, English Tudor look. Um, but that's – yeah, that's where he lived. I mean he was very much an urban person and that was right in the city, just north of Brush Park. So, yeah. So all these beautiful, you know, structures, you know, to me in my mind, it's like this is the same guy who designed factories. That's right. It's hard to believe. But he was really good at it. Yeah. Well, he also um, brought – really brought new innovative ideas along with his brother Julius right um, who actually was educated uh, he in sent him to yes. college he made sure he got that's the education right. he that's never right. got that's right and um, with and between the two of them they were able to um, be really the first to use a, a whole new technique of using concrete and steel. Uh, to make stronger and uh, wider spanned buildings so that they didn't need all these uh, cut-up rooms and as many columns. Uh, they were able to put in uh, much more expensive, uh, expansive glass and have skylights, having air areas that uh, had better ventilation uh, to accommodate these huge assembly lines. So the the first one, of course, was the massive – Packard plant on East Grand Boulevard and uh, of course now that that has stood for a number of decades Empty. as uh, yeah and as uh, as the symbol uh you know kind of the symbol of of uh bygone Detroit right um and we don't know what's going to happen to it but there is hope that perhaps there will be some some major renovation there um but because of his success with that, and Packard was, you know, a really important, very classy brand. Right. I mean, in 1923, um, Packard outsold Cadillac three to one. Wow. So yeah, this was this was a popular car, um, but uh, a more high end car. You know, very classy, uh, with the famous line from uh, the the. Uh, uh, 
original uh, owner, Mr. Packard, um, um, ask the man who owns one. <laughs> that was the that was the line for Packard. Uh, but it was be- because of the success of that, it caught the attention of all the other major industrialists, uh, particularly Henry Ford. And so he went on to design the, you know, the home of the Model T in Highland Park, Michigan, and uh, the the original Ford plant. Right. And worldwide, he became famous. In 1929, a Soviet commission visited Detroit, toured the auto factories, and invited Kahn to build a tractor plant at Stalingrad. Stalingrad, yeah. So, and they sent a force of architects, engineers, and stu- superintendents to teach Russian-Americans industrial practices. And so Khan went over there, and in two years, they built 521 factories and trained over 1,000 Soviet engineers. That's right. His younger brother, uh, Mor- Julius? Mor- yeah, oh. yeah, Moritz. He was oh, the okay. younger brother, was put in charge of the uh, the Soviet operation. So, yeah, I mean— you can go to uh, the the USS, former USSR now and see plants that were originally That's designed amazing. by Albert Kahn. And then, you know, during the war, um, the Rouge plant was commissioned to fa- manufacture Eagle boats. And so uh, they, the Rouge plant developed uh, the largest manufacturing complex in the United States uh, to uh, – Manufactured these Eagle boats, which he built indoors instead of building them outdoors mm-hmm. as boats previously had been built. Right. And then uh, in addition, he built naval bases in Alaska, Hawaii, Midway, Puerto Rico, Jacksonville, Florida. And of course, uh, you know, one of his signature works was the Willow Run plant. Uh, you know the 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 quintessential arsenal of democracy right. that helped us win the Allies win World War II. So, yeah, that was all Albert Kahn. So, uh, he actually worked on a thousand commissions from Henry Ford, hundreds yeah. of other automakers. That's right. He designed showrooms for Ford Motor Company in several cities, including New York, Washington D.C., and Boston. He had a great life. One of my favorite uh, buildings, um, which is no more, but I so remember it as a little kid. I don't know if you ever went there. Was the Ford Rotunda? I don't think I've ever been Did there. You? I mean, it, it was. A I wonderful, must have because my dad building. worked for Ford. I yeah. probably have. It was. Uh, you know, if you're driving around the Dearborn area, you will see Rotunda Drive. Right. And for people now, they say, "Why is it called that?" Well, the Rotunda was this magnificent showroom. This this um, like sort of a convention area, and it was actually built for the Chicago 1934 exhibition, and. Uh, then it was reassembled in Dearborn as a permanent structure. And they used to have, like, when the famous or infamous Edsel was, uh, was, was first uh, brought out, they showed it at the Ford Rotunda. But they used to have a fabulous Christmas show. And all my friends and I would go down there with our parents. And uh, they'd have, I think they had a bunch of Santas. Do they still do it? Well, there's no more Ford Rotunda. The Ford Rotunda very sadly burned to the ground in 1963. 
Oh. Uh, and in fact, there's a wonderful book called Once in a Great City about Detroit in the 60s. And they really take the year 1963 and all the amazing different forces for good and bad that were happening in Detroit that year. And it starts out with the, the, the fire that destroyed the Ford Rotunda. Uh, but in any event, the, the Ford Rotunda was an amazing thing because it looked like um, a giant wedding cake. I mean, it, it's not like it anything else. It was rotund. Else. It was rotund and it had all these different facets and it, it was like bright uh, alabaster white. And it burned down. It burned down, yeah. Uh, but it was it, it was something to see and totally unlike. You can't imagine anything more different than the Fisher Building. Uh, so so uh, this just goes to show that Albert Kahn had a lot of different a lot of a, a lot of different ways of of expressing himself unbelievable yeah so in 1942 he died of a bronchial ailment at the age of 73 yeah still kind of young kind of young a full life but yeah but and and interestingly i realized that you know one of our favorite persons that we've researched Edsel Ford the son of henry right he died just uh, within a year of Edsel, oh. who he had made that wonderful house for oh. in Gross Point Shores. Yeah. So in his obituary, his daughter, Rosemary Kahn Butzel, said he loved Charlie Chaplin films, baseball and football. But for the most part, he was a culturally oriented person. Thank That's you, right. Albert Kahn. Yeah. I mean, Detroit would not be the place that we know without him, without a doubt. Absolutely. He definitely left his signature on uh, much of, of what we see, and it makes uh, Detroit one of the, um, one of the uh, really special places visually that we have today. Well, I've had a great time delving into this deep dive on Albert Kahn. That's right. And this is the second architect that we've talked about. We also talked about the Guardian Building and its creator, Wirt Rowland, who, guess what, worked for Albert Kahn before he branched out and went in a different direction. So, yeah, yeah, again, Albert Kahn had a huge influence. Absolutely. So um, I'd like to thank, again, Tim Brohard for our great background music and Katie Bates for our beautiful logo. And I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us on our journey into Detroit's past, present, and future. We invite you all to explore the Comeback City. That's right.